This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or underdog fantasy in the app store sign up with promo code pitcher list and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 must be 18 year older 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concerned with your play call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York call 1-877-8 Hope and why in Tennessee call 1 800 889 Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast, a proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. This is Chad Young. Pete Ball is here with me as well. And we are into, I guess at this point, it's like week three of draft season for us or something like that. We've been, <laughs> we've been doing drafts. I know, you know, it doesn't seem like draft season cause it's July, but we're, we're going to do, we did a draft two weeks ago. We did a draft last week. We're doing another one today. Why not? Yeah, man. And uh, this one is a little bit more in line with what we did last time as opposed to two weeks ago, because last week we did our rookie pitchers draft and this time we're doing rookie hitters. Yeah. So yeah, two weeks ago we did, and very intentionally non-rookies. It was it was sort of a breakout draft, but it was a breakout not including rookies to avoid the sort of like, yeah, it turns out Corbin Carroll is having a breakout season. It's like, yeah, okay, we, we get it. Some rookies are going to break out. That's how it goes. So then we went to rookie pitchers. Now we're going to look at rookie hitters. Before we get to that, we should remind you that we are available everywhere you listen to podcasts, that we greatly appreciate it if you'd subscribe, leave us ratings and reviews. Mind you, you can follow us on on Twitter. Is it still? I'm not supposed to call it Twitter anymore. It's X now or something, uh, whatever it's called. The you know that social media platform formerly known as Twitter. Uh, we are still there at Keep or Cut, cut with a K. You can find me at Chad Young. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. I'm mostly on there complaining about terrible decisions the Guardians are making late in games. But I also sometimes talk fantasy baseball, so you know, still worth following. Yeah, that's uh, that's all the the basics. We also it is episode one oh nine, and I mean it's obviously Ted Williams, right? There, there's not really any other. It's not. Close. There's not really any debate on that one. Uh, there are some other interesting players who wore number nine. Mini Minoso is uh, on there. He was awesome. yeah. Minoso is a sixteen years, fifty three WAR, pretty good. Yeah. And, a, and an important player in the history of the game, right? So I think that d- deserves a shout out. Bill Mazeroski involved in, you know, one of the biggest moments in the history of the game. So I guess he can get a shout out. And uh, Brady Anderson, one of the most inexplicable seasons in the history of the game, or maybe most easily explained seasons in yeah, the history of the yeah, game. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's the opposite. <laughs> Uh, a player I, I loved growing up is on there. Juan Pierre, 10 seasons, wearing number nine. Awesome player. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So there's some fun names out there. But yeah, definitely 
you know, when Ted Williams wears the number, he owns the number and everyone else is just sort of along for the ride. So, yep. yeah, if you're, you know, in a freezer somewhere, Teddy, you're, you're still. <laughs> no, no, Ted, if you're listening to this in the future, in the year 3096. The... That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We, we were honoring you back in 2023. <laughs> Anyways, let's start talking about this draft a little bit. So as I mentioned, two weeks ago, we did a draft around breakout players where we intentionally did not take rookies. And now we've gone back the last two weeks and we've gotten to our rookies. We did rookie starting pitchers last week. This week we're doing rookie hitters. As with the other two drafts, the focus here is on keeper leagues and and long-term value. But like last week, the second half of this season does matter here. So, you know, this isn't just who do we think is going to be best next year? Who do we think is going to be the best keeper But starting right now, which rookies do you want? We drafted a, we did draft a catcher. We debated what positions. We went back and forth on whether or not catchers should be drafted. But there's a couple of interesting catcher names. The position remains terrible, but there's some rookies who are kind of fun. So, you know, it's worth looking at. So we did draft a catcher. We drafted a corner infielder, a middle infielder, two outfielders, and a utility bat, giving us a little bit of flexibility to go anywhere we want. And I had the first pick last week for the pitchers, which meant that Pete got the first pick this week. And we've done, like I said, this is our third draft we've done in the last three weeks. This had to be the easiest pick any of us has made at any point in those three drafts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know there's some serious Ellie De La Cruz fans out there, and I'm all about that. But I, I, I'd be surprised if there's that many people that would take him ahead of Corbin Carroll. And so there's not a whole lot. I mean, I think Carroll's reached that stage where there's not a whole lot to, to analyze here. I mean, he, he's been compared a lot. I don't know if you how, how many other podcasts you listen to, Chad, but I hear him compared a lot to Trey Turner. And I think he compares more to Mookie Betts, early Mookie Betts. Now, the strikeout rate's never going to be as good as Mookie's. Carroll has a great strikeout rate. He's right around 20%. But Mookie is like, I mean, like he's a he's a god he's an all-time baseball player but like just looking at the five by five numbers like Corbin Carroll looks like he could be basically Mookie Betts with more power but maybe and I, I more power is is aggressive keep in mind though Mookie played during the the live ball or the you know the extreme juiced ball period as well I, I could see Corbin Carroll building into as much power as Mookie had at his height Corbin Cal just has working against him. He's in the Arizona lineup as opposed to the Red Sox lineup that had Ortiz and then J.D. Martinez and, and, you know, all those awesome players. So I guess the real question with Corbin Carroll is not like what's there to talk about. There's nothing to be worried about. If you have Corbin Carroll in your keeper leagues, like congratulations, have fun. It's how many players are actually above him. And that was something I was thinking about, Chad. I mean, I, I had I had Ronald Cunha Jr. as my number one player going into the season. He, that hasn't changed. I would take Acuna above Corbin Carroll. Fernando Tatis Jr., I think if I know you as well as I think I do, you would disagree, but I would still take Nando ahead of ahead of Corbin Carroll. After that, I I think Corbin Carroll might be the third best player in fantasy. Like Freddie Freeman's close. And if it's a daily league, obviously Shohei Otani's number one. If we're talking a weekly league, though, I think Carroll's third. I think you you let's leave let's leave Shohei aside because well, a couple things. First of all, the rules matter so much without knowing the details of what the league structure is. It's hard to evaluate him. Yeah. And the second thing is in the cases where he's the most valuable, he is so far and away the most valuable that it's just sort of silly to debate him. 
I agree. Um, Acuna has been better than Carroll this year. Right. He's so, going to have 50 steals in like a week. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think, given that Acuna is older and has more of a track record, and therefore we can be more confident, like, if there were going to be holes in his swing, pitchers would have found them by now. Like, he is who he is. Carroll probably is, but there's there's more risk given the limited track record. And given the fact that Acuna is older but still a child, it's like, right? Yeah. right? It's, you know, it's not like I'm saying like, oh, you know, do I take the, the kid with half a season under his belt or the like 34-year-old vet who's, you know, still in his prime? It's like, nah, Acuna's right. still as young as anybody. So... I, I, yeah, I don't, I can't see him. I can't see going Carroll over Acuna. Like if it's, you know, if I'm drafting for next year, I can't see that. Tatis, I mean, you know, Tatis is interesting. Like on the Rasmal player Raider, he is 27th right now. And we're getting far enough into the season where the volume that he lost is starting to become less and less important. It's still there and it still impacts his production, but I don't think it impacts his production to the point that he, like, Rasmal Player Raider, your top five right now, Acuna, Otani, Freeman, Carroll, Betts, all guys we've been talking about already. I don't think that the volume lost is enough to explain why Tatis isn't in that group. I he do has think seven I- less at-bats than Corbin Carroll. That's it. Seven right. less at bats. So, given that, I I don't know. I think if you're going to take Tatis over Carroll next year, it needs to be because you believe that this season from Carroll can't be repeated, right? It has to. It, it, it's because you don't buy into what he's doing. And as you said, like there just there are no red flags now. I do think it's worth noting that like no red flag sort of means he's earned what he's done this year, which is different than saying this is just what his talent is and what he's going to do forever. Right. Um, and there is like, you know, his ex Woba is only 344 versus a 387 Woba. I'm not super concerned about that. His barrel rate is 9%. Like that's good, but it's, it's not necessarily like, elite elite 57th percentile on his stack cast sliders. Like there's some little things you can quibble with. He does have one blue stack cast slider. So if you want to be worried about that, his arm strength. Oh, is caught a him now. Big concern. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta order at some point, do the diamondbacks just bench him because of what he's giving back with his arm. It's, it's gotta be a question to ask me. <laughs> yeah. You gotta get Alec <laughs> Thomas in there. Yeah. So anyways, I, I, I think like if you, you want to make a case for Tatis over Carroll, I think you can make it. But that case is effectively Carroll just put up his career year and he's just not going to be quite that good going forward. He's going to come back to earth a little bit. And I don't think that's an unreasonable case to make, but it, but it requires that. It isn't just give them both a full season and wait till you see what happens. Like Tatis has been meaningfully not as good as Carroll this year. I, yeah, but I mean, that's also ignoring the fact that Tatis missed over a calendar season and is coming off shoulder surgery. Like, I, I think we got to give him a little bit of a chance to 
to get back to where he was because as good as Corbin Carroll has been, Tatis at his best, no one, and that arguably includes Acuna, and I think it's worth reading Acuna's actual state because it's the most ridiculous thing I've seen, but Tatis at his best is probably better than any other player in baseball not named Shohei Otani. Like, if Tatis Jr. is clicking on all cylinders like he was before he missed an entire season for injury and ultimately suspension, no one's that good. So on one hand, yeah, it could be you're buying. This is Corbin Carroll's career season already. Like, there's no way all the cars are going to fall this way for him again, even though I believe in the talent. I don't I think that would be a poor approach. I think Corbin Carroll could easily repeat this. Maybe not easily, but I think he could. I think he's that good. I just Tatis is a, a level of player when he's clicking that like even Corbin Carroll might not be able to reach. And so I I could understand the case. I, I actually support the yeah. case. I think I would take him. I think that the the thing I would say about Tatis with in terms of sort of working his way back is given all the lost time, given the injuries, given the steroid issues, like given all of that there are real reasons to question whether or not he ever can get back to what he was at his best. And his season so far this year, it's not like he started slow and is working. Like if anything, like his strikeout rates getting a little bit worse as the season goes on, his walk rates gone down a bit. Like it's actually like he isn't actually progressing towards improvement since he came back. If anything, he's going slightly. It's, but it's such the other a small direction. sample that it like, is. It is. That's, that's trying to chop up too much for me. Like I, I need to, I need to be convinced the other way. I don't need to be convinced that he he can get back to where he was. I need to be convinced that he can't because assuming that he can't, it ta- is taking out a lot of risk in and of itself because you could be missing out on a 50, 40 season. I, I still think, the I, I think if my, I think if my choice is between Carol or Tatis, I think the, risk that Tatis just sort of is what he is now, which is a very, very good player, mind you. Like, if that's what it is, I mean, because I just think it's it's worth noting that if Tatis, if what we're seeing from Tatis right now is just sort of who he's going to be going going forward, he's more like a borderline first-round pick than he is a top-three pick. He's pacing out pretty well. I mean, he, he could be 130, 130, 285. I mean, that's that's within the realm of possibilities for him this season. Yeah. And that that's definitely a top five pick. That's assuming he's he reaches pre- those numbers. Yeah. That's assuming he reaches those. And he is, like I said, right now he's 27th on the player rate. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, and I, I acknowledge that that, that understates him because he lost some time, but again, the lost time is starting to get eaten away and that's not really an excuse we can keep using forever. So I'm yeah. Give me Carol. Give me Carol. <laughs> Either way, we got away from the pick there. Corey Carroll, if you haven't in Keeper Leagues, man, you are, you're cooking. Yeah. So I had the next two picks, and one of the picks I made was pretty obvious. The second one, I think, was was less obvious. Um, the obvious pick I made was Ellie Dela Cruz. As you mentioned, plenty of hype and excitement around Ellie. And I think it is worth noting. So unlike Carroll, there are some questions with Dela Cruz. His strikeout rate is up over 30%, and he's got a history of that in the minors. This isn't like a a new thing that's cropped up. He's only walking 6.3% of the time. That's not terrible, but it's it's low, and it's a little lower than I think some of us may have expected. It's lower than I expected, I will say. He has a 382 BAPIP. He has a 31.3% home run per fly ball rate. That is a very high home run per fly ball rate. It is difficult 
to maintain that. But I think he might be able to. He hits the ball obscenely hard. So like his average, like, or sorry, his his hard hit rate is 47.7. He only has a 4.7% barrel rate behind his now, I think he now has six home runs because he hit another one today, although he may have barreled that one as well. It, it isn't, it hasn't been perfect. It's been exciting, but it hasn't been perfect. But if you look at the sort of, you know, what he's done already in, including tonight, so we're recording on Monday, including tonight's game, which isn't even over yet. He has six home runs and 17 stolen bases with a 274 average and 33 runs, only 19 RBI. But that paces out to something like 50 plus, I mean, more than 50 stolen bases, 55 stolen bases and like pushing 20 home runs. So like a 2050 season with a high average is sort of where he's he's headed. And he's in a lineup that is only getting better and in a park that will only help. And he's also still just 21. And so he has some growth that you need to see, but he's young enough to to make those adjustments and 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 show that growth. I mean, he only had a hundred and or sorry, 186 triple A plate appearances, 207 in double A. So you know, less than 400 plate appearances in the high minors. He's really had less than a full season's worth of plate appearances from double A up, including the majors. This is, he is not a finished product. And the reality is that like, if he improves that strikeout rate, if he brings that barrel rate up, like there's things he can do that should happen over time as he grows and develops. And he's already a fantasy star, maybe even more of a fantasy star than he is a, a quote unquote real star a little bit like uh, a little bit like Bobby Witt Jr. last year, where the fantasy numbers were better than the real value, um, but but better than Witt. I, it's a it's a weird comparison. I'm just like there are these guys who are like these power speed combo who because they don't walk a lot because they strike out a decent amount are actually less valuable to their real teams than they are to our fantasy teams. Ellie may end up in that camp. That may be just sort of the guy he is, but I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think he was the obvious number two pick in the strat. And this is a, I mean, this is such a good rookie class. Like this was a hard thing to do. I'm I'm with you there, and Ellie, and and you brought up the barrel rate. I think it's worth pointing out because Chad and I reference barrel rate a lot. I think it's my favorite statistic for hitters, and I think it's it's so important. I mean, ultimately, it's how often are they really getting a hold of the ball. But there's really two reasons you could have a poor barrel rate. And absolutely, a 4.7% barrel rate is a poor barrel rate. I don't care what the sample size is. It's just bad, especially for a player who's you know, commanding what he's commanding on the, on the trade yeah, market yeah. and leagues and all that stuff. But it's either you're not hitting the ball hard or you're hitting it into the ground. In Ellie's case, it's the good answer. It's that he's hitting the ball into the ground. I mean, his his ground ball rate is up over 56%. And it's not, it, it's 58%. That's not good. I'm not like, yay, he's got an exorbitant ground ball rate. So he has a terrible barrel rate and, and that's great. No, it's not. But it's much easier to fix than the alternative. Uh, I think Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s rookie season, when people are already jumping ship on him because he had a poor launch angle. And, you know, ground balls are still... I guess a little bit of an issue still for Vlad Guerrero Jr. But like <laughs> we saw him fix that. Vlad Jr. is yeah. pretty good. So this isn't uh, an incurable thing. If you see the ground ball rate and you see the launch angle, like don't don't panic looking at that barrel rate. 
because the raw skill, as everybody knows, is there for Ellie. He starts lifting that ball a little bit more. He's going to be fine. And also don't be surprised to see that sway dramatically because launch angle, especially after just 175 plate appearances, that can go all over the place. It's the strikeout rate, which was the first thing you brought up that you need to watch with him. And that's why I think that yeah. that comp that comp of his fellow National League Central shortstop, um, O'Neill Cruz, it's a lazy comp, right? Similar name, Cruz, Cruz, and same division, <laughs> and they're close in age and very similar hype and all that stuff. They're breaking stack ass. It's a good comp. Like, it, it really is. And if anything, I mean, we, kind of, we, we keep getting into other players here, Nando and the last one, and now O'Neill Cruz. If you're into Ellie De La Cruz and you're buying the hype, and I do prefer Ellie to O'Neill Cruz, well, kick the tires on O'Neill Cruz in your leagues because uh, I'm still really high on him. Once he gets that ankle fixed, I'm, I'm ready to see him go head to head with Ellie. Yeah, it's going to be a fun rivalry for the next you know 15 years if those guys stick around with those teams, which will be uh, the Pirates will trade him to the Yankees. So <laughs> that's probably true. So Sorry, with Marcus. my next pick, with my next pick, I went a little, I think a little less obvious. He still seems like the, the right pick to me. Um, we have talked so often about how bad the catcher position is. And uh, Francisco Alvarez is legit. Yeah. And so I did not want to wait. There are other catchers. Pete obviously had to take one. I think the pick he made is good. And we'll have a good conversation about that guy later too. But Alvarez is like he has 255 plate appearances and is hit 19 home runs. He is looking like a, you know, a catcher who could hit 40. And that is a, that's a special thing to have around. Now the concerns with him, he, the strikeouts aren't as big of a problem, but he, he also doesn't walk a ton, at least so far in the majors, which is leading to, a pretty low on base percentage. He has just a 298 OBP, 238 batting average. Those are obviously both numbers that are going to hurt you quite a bit, regardless of what fantasy league you're in. That on base percentage also has, you know, a pretty significant impact on his his real life value. And while I don't think that's concerning enough to be like, oh, I wonder if he's going to be sent back down or if the Mets will actually stick with him, blah, blah, blah. It may impact whether or not he gets a lot of playing time as a DH in the future. Right, it's you know at some point if he's sort of like a good power hitting catcher who never gets on base, he may just be a guy who plays as a regular catcher. If he gets on base at a high rate and keeps this power, then he's a guy who plays catcher. And when he doesn't catch, he DHs because you have to have his bat in the lineup if you're the Mets. And so that's the one thing to maybe watch there. It is worth noting that his six point three percent walk rate, while it is not very good, he had he has never had a stop anywhere in the minor leagues with a walk rate that wasn't double digits. Right. So I don't believe that he is going to have a 6.3% walk rate for his career or anything like that. I think that that walk rate is going to go up. It hasn't really started to do that yet. It's been a little bit up and down in his brief major league career, but it's, it's, you know, he it poked up his rolling walk rate over 15 games, poked up over 12% at one point, but it's really hovered around that 6% line for most of the year. And so it's it hasn't happened yet. And so this isn't like, a, oh, it's just coming, but I think it will. 
And the rest of what you're seeing from him, I mean, we talked about that that barrel rate from Ellie. Uh, Alvarez has a 12.9% barrel rate this year, 14% over his major league career because he did have some some time last year. He he looks pretty legit. The ex-WOBA is only 310 versus a 343 WOBA, so there's a little bit of cause for concern there. But the catcher position is so weak that if he can maintain this power, and there's really no reason to think he can't, like his home run per fly ball rate, 26.8%, his fly ball rate, 41.8%. If anything, he could probably elevate the ball a little bit more. But in general, when I look at those numbers, there's nothing there that like jumps out at me like, oh, no way he can maintain this. If he can maintain this power at the catcher position, I don't necessarily need him to give me a whole lot else, especially because that power should come with pretty good RBI production in that lineup. And that's like right now, if you're looking at, you know, what he's doing over pro rated to a full season, 75 to 80 runs, 90 RBIs, 40 home runs with a low average. I'll take that out of my catcher any day of the week. That's a top three catcher. Yeah. He does have 10 stolen bases across his entire minor league career. <laughs> so, but he hasn't, he, he's got, for what it's worth, since 2022, like since last year and this year, he stole a base in AAA this year. That is the only attempt he has over those two seasons. So, you know, calling out his 10 over his career. It's very tongue-in-cheek. He's not going to steal you any bases. But I don't care. I want the rest of that profile. Yeah, there's not a lot of catchers that are going to steal you a lot of meaningful bags anyway. Um, I loved, I love Alvarez. I was disappointed he made the pick because, like, strategy-wise, you know, you brought up there's not a lot of catchers. And he is – I do like the player I ended up with, but Alvarez, in my eyes, is, is so much better. I'm glad you brought up that walk rate. I mean, you said double digits. I mean, the lowest walk rate he ever posted in the minors is 11.3%. So I, I do expect that to go up. And he does not project as somebody who's going to bat for a high BABIP, right? I mean, he's he's not very athletic. He actually doesn't really hit that many line drives so far in his major league career. But 245 is still low. So like there, there's room for growth there, not only in the plate discipline, but also in the other end on the balls that are actually in play. So I think there is a, some room to grow in that batting average that we're seeing. He's not just a typical like, all right, yeah, he's a catcher who can really get a hold of the ball, but he's going to bat 200. That's, that's not who this guy's going to be. For sure. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do that, just a reminder, we've been doing some some partnerships with Underdog Fantasy. If you haven't checked it out yet, you should. Underdog has these pick'em games where they're basically over-unders. You go look at your, your favorite players, your favorite teams, predict whether they're going to go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts or hits, batters faced for pitchers, total bases for hitters, lots of fun things. You got to make two to five picks, and it sort of acts like a a parlay, right? Get them all right. You can win up to 20 times your money on each of those. That's a that's a pretty pretty fun little game to play. Be sure when you sign up that you use our promo code. Promo code is PITCHERLIST, all caps, all one word. And Underdog will match your first deposit up to $100. So you'll have some, some bonus cash to start playing with, some, some free money. Again, that's underdogfantasy.com or underdogfantasy in the app store. And you sign up with the promo code PitcherList to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. As a reminder, you must be 18 or over to play, 19 or over in Alabama, Nebraska, 21 plus in Massachusetts and Arizona. And you have to be a present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. If you're concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. 
In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Take a quick break and we'll be right back. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. We've gone through the first three picks of our draft, which means Pete, you're back on the clock, back to back picks. Who you got? I think this pick was the last like obvious one. And and that's not to fire a shot at the other rookies. Again, this is a hard one to do, but Gunnar Henderson to me is like firmly in the elite tier of, of current rookies. Um, and, and his numbers are still kind of dragged down by that really slow start. If you just look at his numbers over the last, let's say like two and a half months, um, we'll pick a random arbitrary date in the middle of May, let's say the heart of May, May 15th. Um, his numbers are crazy since then. 216 plate appearances. He's got 12 homers, four steals, was only caught once, uh, 35 RBI, 32 runs. And that is with a 143 WRC plus and a 284 average. He's averaging 93 miles an hour on the average exit velocity. Yes, the BABIP looks high. And unfortunately, the K rate still looks poor. It's at 28%. Uh, and the walk rate is only at 8% over that time period. So that's actually way down compared to how much he was walking at the beginning of the year when all he did, it felt like in April, was take a walk. Um, but I think this is just a young, great hitter just finding his way. He is still just 22 years old. And he's he's simply been on fire. And he, so much so that he was looking almost like a bust for 2023. And that's not like to overreact, but like he was really struggling. There were the rumors about, you know, all right, Ortiz is up and Westberg is coming and Norby's hanging out down there. Like there was real questions about like Henderson's playtime going forward, at least against lefties. 
And he has answered all of those questions so much so that the surface level numbers actually look really good. The OPS is up over 800. He's got 16 homers, five steals. Um, he's got the dual position eligibility, which he should still have next year. I'm going to have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure he'll still have shortstop and third base next year. Um, so that's my, my long winded way of saying that, like, there was a lot of hype on Gunnar Henderson going into the season, and it was easy for people for initial impressions to be like, oh, that's not that's not what we were hoping for here. He looks like a mistake. If you haven't been paying attention, folks, Gunnar Henderson is 100% living up to what you drafted him to be. And so I was really excited to get him. I, I, it's weird to call it late. It's my second pick, but this late in the draft. Yeah, and he is, by the way, he's got 25 starts at short and 50 at third. So he has at least Perfect. another year with that dual eligibility, unless you play in some really weird structured <laughs> leagues, which I guess some people might. But yeah, he's a yes, catcher. Yeah. <laughs> He, w- he once stood by home plate, so they're just like, all right, close enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, um, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, I think at the end of the day, the, the only thing to really say about Gunner is, you know, hopefully you bought low early in the season when he was struggling because he's been just, just really excellent since then. I still think, like, I'm sort of curious now, sometimes there are guys that you can buy low on because their rankings haven't caught up with what they're producing. And just as an example, like it doesn't really work in like auto new where you don't see, see those, those rankings show up next to a player's name. But like in my CBS league, he right now is the 100th best player according to their actual rankings at CBS. I know Yahoo and ESPN do stuff like that too. I think he's a lot better than the hundredth best player. And so there is still an opportunity, potentially, potentially, to buy low on him. Now, I'm already annoyed because I went to look at my CBS League to find that number and the team he's on. Um, it, it's a, there's not an opportunity for me to buy low. It's a, a good, smart manager who will know better wow. than to just rely on those numbers. But Bummer. if you're in a league with people where they do rely on those rankings... Uh, or they look at something like the Rasball Player Raider, where he's still outside the top hundred. You know, you can't you can't like lowball someone, but if you offer them like a top fifty to seventy five type guy, I think you can get pretty. I think you'd be pretty happy getting Gunnar Henderson, especially in a situation where you trade a sort of low keeper cost Henderson for a high keeper cost better player. But you're going to run out of time to do that because those his rankings just go in. Up, down, better. It's just going better. Improved. <laughs> yeah. It's just improving. So after you took Gunner, you, uh, I guess, you know, I wasn't sure at first if you were taking your corner infielder or your middle infielder. It appears you're using him at middle infield because you went corner infield next. Yeah, this this episode will be a fun one for me because it's it's like a half victory lap for an episode we did before the season where uh, Chad and I both picked four players that like we want more shares of. Uh, and I went like I went really late ADP for that. Um, I chose two pitchers that you I whiffed on. I took Chris Sale, which looked great. And I would say like, well, I have the excuse he got hurt. But part of my rationale was I was arguing that Chris Sale's not injury prone. And I at some point, even I have to come around on the fact that dude can't stay in the field. The other one was Jack Flaherty. We're not going to talk about that. My two hitters, though, <laughs> we're going to talk about both of them. And the first one right now is Josh Young. Um, Jung? Young. I always get this wrong. 
Josh Young. 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 Uh, he's been awesome. I mean, part of my rationale at the beginning of the season was like, simply look, he had a 38.2% K rate and a 3.9% walk rate. He's just, if he's hitting those numbers again, he's not going to be in the majors. He's going to stick around and he's going to improve that. Um, And he certainly did. He's lowered the K rate by about 10 percentage points. Still a little bit high. It's not necessarily what you want to see. He does whiff a lot. He does chase, but he is a slugger. Um, He's almost like Nolan Gorman, American League, but with more success so far. 20 homers on the season, 61 RBI, 63 runs. He's been tearing it up. The average exit velocity is way up from a small sample size last year to an elite level. He's averaging 92.2 miles an hour, uh, a very good barrel rate. Basically, Josh Young is is what we were hoping he would become, a guy who hits the ball in the air a ton, and he hits it with absolute authority in a lineup that is night and day compared to where it's been for the last you know four to five seasons. So all of that is kind of working out for Josh Young. It's led to him starting the All-Star game and all that good stuff. If you have him, you don't have him at some like crazy discount like you might for some of these other guys because Young was going a little bit higher, you know, third base eligibility, all that good stuff. But um, he, he's a prospect who like he lost height because of that shoulder injury last year. Then he finally arrived a little bit late and he was underperforming. Kind of a forgotten about guy because he was absolutely an elite prospect and, and he's tearing the cover off the ball now. He's it's a absolute dogfight for that American League rookie of the year because Yoshida Young and Gunnar Henderson are just going to fight to the death. And if Hunter Brown does what we think he could do in the second half, that could become a four horse race pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah. Young. I mean, I, I think so. There's a reason, at least for me, that Young fell to the fifth pick in this and and, you know, despite the fact that he might be the favorite to be rookie of the year, isn't isn't earlier in this draft. One of those is, unlike, you know, particularly Ellie and to, to some extent Gunner as well, I don't think Young has quite as much upside, right? I think, like, there is a world in which Ellie De La Cruz gets that strikeout rate in line and becomes a perennial possible first overall pick, right? Right now, he's not in that conversation with Corbin Carroll and Acuna and, and Tatis that we had earlier, but like he has the skill set and the tools to get into that conversation. Young does not. He just doesn't. The other thing going on with Young right now that's a little concerning for me is he's got this 348 BAPIP, and I just, I don't know that I buy that he's going to be that high a BAPIP guy. Now, his ex-WOBA looks fine. His projected BAPIP, if you look at like Steamer, Zip, stuff like that, is it's not 348, but like Zips has a 329 projection. Steamer is 313. The bat has 319. Like, so maybe he does project as more of a high BAPIP guy than I than I realized. Um, he also has a pretty high chase rate still. He's, his O swing is 35.7%. So I see some some things around like, can he keep that strikeout rate down because I worry about the chase rate? Can he continue to keep such a high average because I worry about the bat bit? And, and it makes me, it gives me some pause about, you know, are we seeing sort of the best of what he can do rather than what he's going to continue to do going forward? And from that perspective, like I was very torn about my, my top two choices at corner infield. And I was willing to wait and let you take Young in order to get the other guy. Um, 
you screwed me over and took the other guy. So we'll get to him in a little bit too. Utility but, spot. Uh, yeah, utility spot. I, I should have known it was coming. But I, I think that there's a little bit of concern there. But I want to be clear that that's not like a maybe he's going to be terrible concern. It's just a, I think he's, I don't know that there's another level there. And I think we could see some some fall off from a guy who right now is performing like a third to fourth round pick. And I think he might be more like a fifth to sixth round value moving forward. No, I think that I think that's right. And I, I think any of these guys who have a K rate basically above 25 percent, if they're if they're not showing a signs of lowering that K rate and they're not particularly quick, then they're going to have some real dry spells. And I brought up Gorman. That's what we saw with Gorman. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see it with Young. But hold on tight because the highs are going to be just as high as the lows were low. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, I, I went with a guy who uh, does not have strikeout issues with my next pick. And that is Masataka Yoshida. And Yoshida is, you know, maybe a little boring from a fantasy perspective. I mean, he's looking like he's going to, you know, push 20 home runs and 15 stolen bases. He might not quite get to either of those numbers. He's got a 315 average, which I'm a... I'm a big fan of that. And even in OBP leagues, he's got a 376 on base percentage because he walks seven and a half percent of the time. I, like he might actually be the best hitter of the group that we've talked about so far with the exception of Corbin Carroll, but he's not the best fantasy hitter because he just, he doesn't sort of pile up the numbers like the others do in the counting stats. Now he is looking like a, a threat to be close to hundred runs and hundred RBIs. I don't think he's quite going to get to those numbers probably end up more like 90 of each, but this is a guy who can be a big plus in batting average can be a positive in runs and RBIs, be a positive in stolen bases and and carry his weight in home runs. He's not going to he's not going to win you home runs, but he won't hurt you either. And just do a little bit of everything really really well. And I think he's also like he's pretty stable. Like I think you can be sort of rely on this from him. Now, he's 30 years old. So maybe you can only rely on this from him for the next couple of seasons before you start to worry about you know the impact of age. But he doesn't strike me like a guy who's going to age particularly poorly because he's not relying on like crazy athleticism or tools or anything like that. He just he's just a he's a professional hitter. It seems like a a silly thing to say. Maybe appropriate on Ted Williams' episode, but you <laughs> he's know, like an old school hitter. Yeah, he is, and it's. He's he's good and he's he's sort of, you know, the comparison I would make is he is what I hoped Alex Verdugo would be. Right? Like there was never yeah, a point fair. where I was like, oh, Verdugo's gonna be a 30-30. Like, no, that wasn't him. But I always like I was like, I bet Verdugo could be like a 300 hitter who provides value across every category. And he's just right. never, never really done that. That's what Yoshida's doing. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's totally fair. I, I love the Verdugo comp because we just see it every day here. Verdugo's in a terrible stretch right now because he kind of did start the year on a very similar pace and was looking awesome, and he's just gotten so cold. But, I mean, I'm just going to turn this to a Red Sox homer thing. They took so much heat 
this offseason, and in many ways, rightfully so. But we had that anonymous executive come out and say, like, oh, I can't believe what the Red Sox are doing. They way overpaid for Yoshida. Nobody was coming even close to that. Well, you know what? Looks like it was a pretty good signing. In your fantasy leagues, still just 28. So, like, yeah, he's obviously super old for a rookie. But we, we should be looking at a, a decent stretch here of some quality years from Masataki Yoshida because the profile is so safe and when you see what the Red Sox are building with a name that we're going to talk about in a second with Rafael Devers like that's one that you should be excited about because Yoshida is never going to bat lower than the top top half at worst but most likely top third of the lineup over the next three to four years so if you have him in your keeper leagues yeah he's older than these other guys still really valuable yep and he's he's older but yeah, in a keeper league, I'm never looking more than you know a couple of years, three years out anyways, and I'm not worried about him in that time horizon. It's a good point. I debated very strongly going back-to-back Red Sox here just to try to <laughs> torment Glad you. you <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? Jordan Walker is still out here. And if you tell me, if you told me a year from now that there's somebody in this group who surpasses Carol and Ellie to be at the top, Walker would be my bet to do that. Not that I think he's going to, but that he is a good enough hitter with good enough tools across the board that he could make that leap to that tier. He has like, you know, last year in Less than a full season of 536 plate appearances at double A. He had 19 home runs and 22 stolen bases. And that was as a 20 year old. He was young for the level. He's now at 21 years old, got a 340 Woba in the majors. And he, of course, you know, somewhat famously started the year in the bigs and was, was not good. So, you know, you go back, he got sent down in late April. April 23rd was his last day in the majors for a while. He had a exactly 100 WRC plus. That was only because his last three days in, in before being sent down, he, he, his last three games, he was excellent, right? He had a 85 WRC plus as of April 17th. A week later, he was back in the minors. Since he's come up on June 2nd, so we're going on, you know, closing in on two months now. He has a 125 WRC plus. He has seven home runs and two stolen bases in 159 plate appearances. You're looking at, you know, a 25-10 type pace that he's on. He's got a 278 average. And he's really made improvements in sort of every aspect of his game. And that kind that's just initial changes and growth from sort of getting a chance to reset over five weeks in the minors. Um, I'm really, really excited about what Walker could be long-term. I think he's got, you know, you look at his, his grades and this is a guy who has like 80 grade raw power and has the ability to get into potentially 80 grade game power while also running better than you might think and being a pretty decent fielder. Like the, the tools are there for him to be a faster Giancarlo Stanton, hopefully a healthier Giancarlo Stanton too. But like he has that kind of power and he has it without the Gallo-esque hit tool that, that you worry about with those kind of power guys. Now, I I think 
I think it is valid that he went where he went in this draft, right? I'm, I'm talking about this guy like, you know, Stanton with a little bit of speed is, is not a guy <laughs> who should be going this late in this draft. He's, you know, he's got to find a way to get to that. And I don't know that he will. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that's, you know, pencil him in for a 40, 20 season with a 300 average or something like that's not what I'm expecting. But that is in his range of outcomes in a way that I think it's not for, just, uh, as an example, and I'm not picking on him because I think he deserved to go before Walker, but Josh Young, who we talked about where I said, I'm just not sure about his his upside compared to some of the earlier guys. Walker has not been as good as Young, but I think the upside is much higher. Yeah, so, I, I was happy to take I, him here. I love the Walker pick. I think we would have just flip-flopped. If you took my guy, I think I definitely would have taken Walker there. Um, I think St. Louis has just been such a dumpster fire this year. No kidding. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past with other players of, like, how you just don't know when they get sent down out of the blue how they're going to take it. Do they take it as a motivation piece? Do they take it as a slight? Who who knows how that translates? And there's almost no point in speculating. But... I, I don't trust St. Louis and I, I'm not saying I, I don't trust him going forward. Cause I, I at some point the talent's going to shine through, right? At, at some point that's usually, usually how it goes. But when he frustratingly said, quote, there's no point if I try to hit the ball in the air, if I'm not hitting the ball at all, it gave this vibe that like St. Louis just sent him down and said, Hey, hit the ball in the air more. Like <laughs> I'm assuming there was more coaching that went into that, but if that's the approach of this organization that they took a player who, by the way, was not performing that poorly, right? No, he wasn't. St. Louis wasn't lighting the world on fire. At the beginning of the year, Arenado was terrible. Obviously, he's turned around and been himself. But like Walker wasn't like this stick out like, wow, that kid's a disaster. He needs to get sent down. And if they just send him down and say, yeah, we want you to hit the ball in the air more, then like no wonder he struggled. You're right. All the talent's there. And and I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, man. Do I feel that way about Walker or do I think it's Gunnar Henderson? Like if one of these players could leapfrog Ellie and leapfrog Corbin Carroll, who is it? And in my head, I was like, it's Gunnar, it's Gunnar, it's Gunnar. No, I I, I think it's Jordan Walker. So I, I, I really like the pick. If we're wondering why it's the swing and miss stuff with Henderson and the, and the lefty stuff with Henderson, he's got to figure that out. But uh, Walker, great pick. I'm, I'm still in on him. If you can get him cheap in your keeper leagues, go get him. Yeah, I, I will note on that, that hit the ball in the air quote. I'm going to try to pull it up because I think it's an interesting one because I, I interpreted it a little bit differently than you. So article that was posted, you know, end of May. So this is, he's been down in the minors for a little bit. It's right before he came back up and he said, let's see about this. Before he was optioned, he spent several days. So by the way, the article I'm looking at now is on a the the Fox St. Louis affiliate website. Like it's but it's a reporter from them who, you know, talked about this. So said before his option, Walker spent several days working with Cardinals hitting coach Turner Ward, specifically asked to adjust his posture and rotation. Cardinals hoped to reduce some habits like ground ball outs and chasing low pitches. That became a bit more common once Walker's hitting streak ended. And then that was where he said that's he sort of he pivoted off that, right? I was told to start hitting the ball in the air, and that kind of got to me a little bit about trying to force the ball into the air a little too much, said Walker. 
that would force myself to do things I don't usually do. It's just about being more relaxed and not thinking about it at the plate. So my interpretation of that was they wanted him to work on hitting the ball in the air more because he needed to hit the ball in the air more. It wasn't like a, it wasn't bad advice or anything like that. And I didn't read it to him. I didn't read that quote as him being like, I can't believe that's what they told me to do. I read that quote as him being like, when I tried to do that, it messed with my swing. And he needed to get back to sort of being who he was, which is effectively what he's done. Cause like his ground, his fly ball rate and ground ball rate are still bad. He needs to elevate the ball more. They're not wrong. And so I, my, my sense is a little bit that he, like, they wanted him rightly to work on elevating the ball. When he tried to adjust his swing to do that, it wasn't working. And he needed to sort of get back to being himself. And that's like, that's great. I'm glad he did that. The next step for him is, and maybe he needs to do this in the off season, is to start hitting the ball in the air more. Um, because he he will benefit from that. And actually, now I'm looking at this, his rolling fly ball rate. So as I said, it's still around 30%. His rolling fly ball rate, his 15 day or 15 game rolling fly ball rate since the beginning of July-ish has consistently been up over 35 and at times over 40 and 45%. So he is elevating the ball more now. And I think that's only a good thing for him. So I, I'm... I'm hopeful that what we're going to see with Walker and part of this this power breakout. When I talk about him having, you know, Stanton with a little bit of speed type potential, you cannot be that with a 30.9% fly ball rate. That will not work. He needs to be up at 40% or higher if he's going to be pushing for 40 home runs and he seems to be headed that direction. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I wasn't interpreting as like, that's how he was taking it as if the directions were like too simplistic, but as a, as a fan, you see that and you understand the frustration. I was told to start hitting the ball in the air. If that's what it was. And that's, that's the simple directive. Like, I I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm, I'm too much of a, a teacher. I need more instruction here because I'm trying to do this. Obviously I'd rather hit a home run than a single, but help me out here, throw me a bone. And maybe it was just his frustration well, he, making it super simple, but like, I just, I don't, yeah. I, it, it he'd been ugly. working. They did say he'd been working with the hitting coach. Like I'm sure there was more to it. I think the, the weird thing with the Cardinals right now is if you look back at like the last decade, two decades, maybe even the Cardinals have been an organization that like love him or hate him. You they were, they were a well-run organization that made smart decisions and consistently put winners on the field. And this year, and it really is just sort of this year and maybe some of last year, like they look awful as an organization. Their managers throwing players under the bus publicly. Like it's just like they've been a mess, just a mess. And it's hard for me to think about sort of what my thoughts were about that organization historically and and rectify that with how they've behaved this year. Like it just feels weird and wrong to me. And so my my instinct is still to think that like they're going to go back this offseason. They're going to go back to doing what's worked well for them. And they may they have a little bit of work to do, I think, especially on the pitching front to be competitive again. But I think that like they're they're too well run an organization or have been for too long to just be to have suddenly fallen apart like this. 
But I don't know. In three years, that might look like a stupid thing to have said, and they may be a laughing stock because that's the direction they they seem to be going right now. But like I said, I thought about I thought about going back to back Red Sox with my picks here. I didn't, and then you took an extra corner infielder, left me scrambling. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this is the other guy I talked about in that episode before the season about uh, who you should target. And it's it, probably not a great victory lap because he went in that range. This is Tristan Cassis. He went in that range of like players who they're droppable if they're not looking good at the beginning of the year. So most people who took that advice from me and drafted Tristan Cassis, unless it was a really deep league, you may have actually dropped him. But if you were able to add him back, I think a great number to start with is looking at his WRC plus by month. So if you look at Tristan Cassis' WRC plus by month, in April, it was a disaster. He had a 60 WRC plus, which means he was about 40% worse than league average. In May, it was up to 107. All right, here we go. In June, it was 132. And he still really wasn't on people's radars. So far this month in July, he has a 225 WRC plus. That barrel rate is 14.5%. His strikeout rate is all the way down to 26.1. If you remember at the beginning of the year, it was much higher. One of his calling cards in the minor leagues was his plate discipline. He is walking 14% of the time. That is in the 94th percentile on StatCast. Tristan Cassis right now is one of the hottest hitters in baseball. And something that has me extremely excited because you know how I am, Chad, with this particular statistic. Last season in that small-ish sample, 56.6% ground ball rate, that is all the way down to 36.8%. You brought up how you need to see that. If Jordan Walker is going to be a 40-homer guy, you got to see that the, the ball in the air a lot more. Tristan Cassis is hitting the ball in the air a lot. The line drive rate is about league average of 25%, but the fly ball rate is 31.1%. He's starting to kill the ball. The final numbers might not look as good as they could be because of that really slow start that he had, which leads me to think that next year he may be a steal in some drafts because this dude, when he makes contact, he absolutely wallops the ball. He has a great eye at the plate. Even with that strikeout rate of 26.1%, he's still an 80th percentile chase rate, uh, which you could say is a bad thing. That means he swings and misses in the zone a lot, which is not great for a hitter. But when he makes contact, he makes the opposing pitchers pay. I'm really I, I have the the Red Sox colored glasses on. I understand that, but Tristan Cassis is looking like who us Red Sox fans wanted and really, frankly, needed in the heart of the lineup. Uh, and so it's hard for me to not get super excited about that. So Cassis at my utility spot. I am I'm pumped about that. Matt Olson reborn AL East. Here we go. Yeah, I, I like I said, I thought about him numerous times. I sort of thought he would go one more round for me, and he did not. I was very sad about that. Um, I'm I'm consoling myself by reminding myself that in my CBS league, and this is there's no analytical value here at all. This is just me purely taking a moment to be happy. But in that CBS league, the team that had Cassis dropped him a few weeks ago, oh. and I was like, I still buy in. I'm picking him up, and like I don't even have a use for him necessarily. <laughs> He's you fixed like, him. I. I have Matt Olson at first base. I have Jose Ramirez at third base. I have Spencer Steer at corner infield. I've got a really deep outfield, so I can't even move Steer to the outfield, really. Like, Cassis is like, he's basically a platoon guy for me in that league. I, like, play him at times, and at times I don't. But, like, man, he's been good, and I am extremely happy to be penciling him in as my first baseman for the foreseeable future. Yeah, he's he's been awesome. 
Yeah. So let's take a real quick break. And when we come back, we'll get to Pete's catcher. All right. Welcome back, Pete. You did have to take a catcher. So talk to us. Because I actually, I like this guy. I feel I feel good about this pick for you. Yeah, I think Henry Davis is kind of weird because I was talking about this actually with my brother last night. And he's like, a, I feel like people don't know how to value him, right? Because everyone thought it was Pittsburgh cheaping out. They wanted to pay under the draft slot when they took Henry Davis first overall. And that's why Marcelo Meyer fell to the Red Sox, which is just, you know, that makes my day. But that Henry Davis wasn't the best player and shouldn't have gone number one. But that doesn't mean that he's like a bad prospect. And there were some there were some not great things that have been written about him over the last you know year and a half, two years about Henry Davis and his prospect value. But and I guess for this draft, maybe it's not great because we're talking keeper leagues. I don't know if he's going to maintain catcher eligibility. I, I don't know if that's the plan in Pittsburgh. I don't know if Pittsburgh ever has a plan. I. It'd be great if he does keep it. Uh, it'll obviously give him a lot more value. But for now, because he has that catcher eligibility, he is super value for you, valuable for you. So, I mean, I wasn't as excited about the pick as you are. I would have so much rather had Francisco Alvarez. It's just not how it went. But Henry Davis does project to be somebody who can hit the ball with a little bit of authority. He does have some pop. He's not going to post exorbitant strikeout rates, for which for a catcher eligible player is nice because he's not going to go in those like swoons where you're like, man, do I have to like drop this guy? He's He's a disaster. Those those K rate slumps that we've talked about in the past. Um, so, I, I, there is a lot of power in that bat. I, I think he's exciting. I just I don't know. I, I wish I was able to take Francisco Alvarez or Matt McLean instead. <laughs> wish I didn't have to take. Yeah, his eligibility is going to depend a little bit on whether or not you play in a league or a format that considers minor league positions. So Otto knew for example, will give position eligibility to anyone who has 20 plus games in the minors at a given position, regardless of what they did in the bigs. And so he will have catcher eligibility in auto new because he made 30 starts at catcher in double A and then made four more in triple A right around the time that they were starting to move him around to the outfield a bit more. Since he's gotten to the bigs, however, he has 26 starts in the outfield and has yet to make a start, has only made one appearance as a catcher. Um, and so that's, I, I would guess that most fantasy platforms, at least most ones I plan other than Auto New, are, are not going to give him catcher eligibility next year because he's just not playing enough of it in the majors, but in, in auto new, he'll have it. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Cause I have him in at least one auto new league. And so I'm, I'm planning on using him as a catcher next year and he'll be a super valuable catcher next year where he maintains that eligibility because he'll be a catcher who plays every day in the outfield. But yeah, I, I suspect a lot of places he won't have that eligibility and I don't think he is going to play enough catcher the rest of the way to change that. I, I think, think he's so sort either. of done being a catcher. So for your long-term leagues, that is, that is unfortunate news. I will point out it is 70 grade raw power. So I, I don't mean to be so pessimistic about my own pick here. It's just, you, you got somebody who's like in the thick of it. Well, would be in the thick of it in a normal year for NL rookie of the year. 
that uh, with one of your upcoming picks that I would have loved to have taken at that pick. Yeah, catchers, you know, got to take them, got to take them at some point. They 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 have they have a job to do. So, and yeah, so we get then to my last two picks, and I decided that I would just collect the entire long term Cincinnati Reds out or infield, and so having already and outfield steer is yeah. and, and possible outfield. Yeah, it's true. So I've already taken Ellie Dela Cruz. I took Spencer Steer. Steer, I mean. I, there's again another guy that's like not a lot to say about here. Like he has, he's walking over 10% of the time. He is striking out less than 20% of the time. He's got a 358 Woba. The BAPIP is 317, which isn't super concerning. His ex Woba is 334, not quite as good as his Woba, but not, not bad. If you want to sort of be a little concerned, I, I worry about, you know, what is the power output long term? Because, you know, he does, he has only a 6% barrel rate. He's got a less than 40% hard hit rate. And his, you know, his max EV of 110 isn't bad, but he's not putting up sort of elite type power numbers. And that's resulting in an 11.2% home run per fly ball rate this year. But like last year in AAA, he was 14.3% or yeah, 14.3% with Cincinnati. He was 18.8% in his time with Minnesota, but like he's hovered around that sort of 15-ish percent in the minors. You'd expect that to go down maybe a little bit in the majors. So maybe there's some room for some growth above that 11%. If it does, that'd be great. Cause like he's got 14 home runs this year. He elevates the ball quite a bit. He has a 44.3% fly ball rate. So there is some space there for him to put up some good, at least decent power numbers. But in some ways, he's, I don't know, like we talked about Yoshida before. Like he's just not going to, like, there are no individual numbers for Yoshida except maybe his average that are exciting. It's just the package is, is great. And, and steers a little bit like that too. I think he's got a little bit more power. I think he might steal a few more bases. He's not going to put up that 300 average, but he's going to do a little bit of everything for you and he won't hurt you in batting average. And that has a lot of value, especially from a guy who, you know, this year, you know, I, I don't knew this year because he played, um, all over the infield last year in the minors. He is first, second, short, third, and outfield this year. But next year, he'll be first, third, and outfield in Otto New. And I think that should be true in a lot of places. I'm pulling up his his games data right now. He's made 49 major league starts at first. He has made 27 major league starts at third. And he's made... 14 major league starts in the outfield. So yeah, he should be first third outfield basically everywhere next year. And I I really like that. I think he's he's not as exciting as some of the guys ahead of him and honestly, he's probably not as exciting as the guy I took next, but he's he looks super solid. He plays a bunch of positions and he's just valuable. Yeah, I think I think it's his ability to do basically everything, like you said, that's going to keep him relevant for a really long time. You look at his splits, and he's batting over 300 against lefties. He is batting 264 against righties, which will we'll stomach. I mean, that's definitely above league average anyway. Um, and something that's also going to help Spencer Steer stay relevant is he, even though he he lacks that kind of authoritative pop with the bat, he does hit the ball in the air a lot. At least this season, he has. 
and he is pulling the ball above league average, and that's just going to play at Great American Ballpark. So you think of the versatility, you think of his ability to hit both sides, and now you factor in that he can pull and lift the ball. Like he, He's going to stay relevant for a while. I don't think this is a fluke. I wouldn't expect much more, but I think this is pretty damn good what you're getting, and I expect it to continue. Yeah, for sure. And the guy I said I think is maybe more exciting who I took next is Matt McClain. McClain's a couple years younger. He hasn't had quite as much major league time, but McClain in his, you know, 272 major league plate appearances, 10 home runs, eight stolen bases, a 305 average. So, you know, you're looking at a 20 to 25 home run, 16, 17, maybe as much as 20 stolen base pace with a high average. And, a lot of runs and RBIs, especially like we we drafted half their lineup in this <laughs> in this draft. So like, there's a lot of talent in that lineup, and it's it's there's more coming. Like we didn't even talk about Christian Encarnacion Strand. So like, he should be able to pile up the counting stats. I don't think that 305 average is legit. He has a 399 BAPIP. I am comfortable saying that that won't continue. <laughs> um. But he has a 305, 385 Woba and a 345 X Woba. And I think if you if you take that X Woba of 345 and, and drop it on a guy who, you know, in the majors so far this year, he has nine starts at second and 46 at short. He's probably going to be both second base and shortstop eligible next year, most places. Like that'll play. That'll that'll play, right? If you you're talking about a guy who I think is gonna be a, a real threat to put up a 2020 season with an average that doesn't kill you hitting early in a lineup that piles up runs in a ballpark that is just heaven to hit it. And yeah, I, I really like that. The The big concerns with him other than the bat pip are right now his, his strikeout rates a little bit high at 26.8%. He was only at 19.7% in AAA and his walk rates down at 7.4%, but he is another guy who has consistently put up like 15% walk rates in the minors. So I don't think he's going to get back to 15%. But if you can bring that strikeout rate down to 23, 24% instead of 27%, you can bring the walk rate up to 10%, which I think is all very reasonable. There's there's a little bit more upside in this, even after you, you know, regress the BAPIP because that's going to come down. Yeah, no, all in on on Matt McLean. He's been a pleasant surprise. And unlike some of the other names on this list, Chad, I guess he's kind of similar to Spencer Steer in this way, a little bit came out of nowhere. I mean, actually even more so than Spencer Steer because Spencer Steer had some helium going into the season, but Matt McClain has, has come out of nowhere and I'm willing to bet in most keeper leagues was a player that uh, was added off of free agency or in your ought new leagues is a player who you got for a buck if you started an auction early enough, which gives him even more value going forward. Um, so that that is one key difference here. Like a lot of these names are obvious, right? And if you had Corbin Carroll, then like, you know, he went up in, in arbitration. He's going to go way up again. And, and, you know, you had to spend a lot either in draft capital or in your auction dollars to get him. Matt McLean, man, there's a lot of value in leagues all over the place for, for that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And that was my, my last pick. And so now we get to your last pick. And this is really, it's interesting because this draft has been primarily guys who are like producing and... <laughs> This is you went a different route here. You went, although he does tonight, one for three with a double. So you know, maybe he's getting it going. Yeah. So I went with Colton Kowser. I mean, 
this was tough because I obviously have to put Henry Davis at, at catcher and with Corbin Carroll off the board with Yoshida off the board and with Jordan Walker off the board, it's like, there's a noticeable drop off there for rookie outfielders, at least in terms of production so far this season. So I did consider like Sal Freelich, but I, I was lying to myself. If I took Sal Freelich, it was because he just went three for three and there's way more hype for him right now. But if I was in a league and all things being equal in terms of cost, I would trade you Sal Freelich for Colton Kowser in a second. Colton Kowser, number 12 prospect on pipeline, a lot of hype going into the season. The Orioles can clearly churn them out. Um, granted, the first 46 plate appearances have not gone according to plan, right? It's a 30 WRC plus, but he is getting on base at a really good clip. Um, he is, you know, a lefty, which is going to help him. Like, remember, if we recall, I brought this up like three times now. My concern with Jordan Westberg was that I didn't think he had a lot of power to begin with, and he was a right-handed bat going to Camden. We Remember, we don't have that concerns with lefties, or we don't have that concern with lefties. And Colton Cowser's a lefty, so I think his power will play just fine. Um, I had Basically, this is me saying, this is where I had him ranked before the season started. I'm not going to change my mind after an injury and then 46 plate appearances. So if you can somehow buy Colton Cowser low because of this extremely small sample of a lack of success, then then go do it because I think he's I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, I think all of that is true. I think it's worth noting that even he he is, as I said, one for three with a double today. He has a strikeout today. That strikeout raised his strikeout rate to 18.4% and he's walking 14.3% of the time in the majors. So like there's a lot of ugly there. There is a 161 BAPIP so far, even after the double today. But there's a lot of stuff to to feel good about, even though the results aren't really there yet. I, I think the more interesting question, I think it is a no-brainer to go get Kowser if you're facing the future, looking towards the future, or if you are, or if you're a team that just has room to accept a guy who maybe doesn't produce right away. I think the more interesting question, and I'm going to put you on the spot here because we didn't really discuss this, but if you are contending and you have Colton Kowser, are you shopping him? So, I might actually wait to see what the deal is with Aaron, Aaron Hicks's hamstring. So the only reason Kowser got in the lineup today and went one for three was because Aaron Hicks came out of the game with a hamstring cramp. Hamstring cramp could be a he doesn't even miss a game or that could be a month, month plus absence. If Kowser all of a sudden has some runway on one. of I can't believe we're saying this on one of the best teams in baseball uh, in definitely one of baseball. Yeah, and definitely one of the best lineups in baseball. That's for sure. Um, then yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ride it out. I want to give this guy a chance because the, the sweet spot is having your cake and eating it too, is if you're competing and your young assets, you don't have to move them because they're producing those guys with that sweet keeper value, which I'm sure Colton Kowser has for most guys who roster him, um, if they're actually producing. So I want to give him a shot here to see if he can earn that spot because if I'm selling him, what am I really expecting in return in a keeper league? Like maybe like a Starling Marte or something. I think Colton Kowser could outproduce Starling Marte rest of season if he gets similar plate appearances. And I love Starling Marte. So I, I would I would hold on and see what I got. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'm totally with you. I would not move him for Starling Marte. I feel like that'd be that's sell it like they're selling low and then there's just like punting. I don't know. Punting, yeah, and that's not what I would do. I I do think, and and the reality is, this is true of almost anybody we drafted here. I mean, if I go back over this draft, I would say this is true of De La Cruz, maybe Henderson. I mean, let's go actually let's go a different route. Carroll, probably Henderson, 
Josh Young, and Yoshida. They're the they're the four in this group who I'm like, I feel pretty good about how they're going to produce the rest of the way. I think Steer should be fine. I think Cassis should be fine. Like I'm not I'm not like worried about these guys. But almost any of them, your your one sort of pitcher adjustment, one thing that gets picked up in a scouting report away from them going into a a, a cold spell and, a, and potentially a long one. And so I am on almost any of these guys, I would be open to trading them, but the value's got to be good. Right. And so I do think that was where when you, you mentioned Marte, it's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what I'm looking for, right? I need to do better than Starling Marte if I'm sure. giving up both these guys. But like, Kowser in particular, like he hasn't really started hitting yet. And I, I agree with you. My preference would be to like, you know, give it some time. Let's, let's, you know, it's been like five games. Let's see what happens. But we're also getting close to trade deadlines. And as we get closer to those trade deadlines, you have to make those decisions. I think Kowser, I think to some extent Davis, especially if you're in a league where if you don't need Davis at catcher, well, I don't know how that could be, but if you don't need Davis a catcher and he's not going to be a catcher next year, like moving now is not a bad idea. Right. Um, I, so there are some guys here I would be willing to, to, to move away from if the right trade came along, but it, but it's got to be the right trade. And maybe that's something as we get closer to trade deadlines, we can talk a little bit about is like what kind of trades are out there for some of these rookies and some of these breakouts that we talked about in our breakout draft. And are they... You know, are there guys that deals out there that would make you want to sell high, or maybe in the case of cows or sell low? So, I think it's, it's that, for sure. One thing that I anticipate we'll talk about, and I'll just say it now, just in case people are thinking about trades, is it's much easier to do that with pitchers, right? We're approaching the trade deadline in one of my keeper leagues, and I have a I have a last round free agent ad Tanner Bybee, and we only keep three players per team. All of a sudden, Tanner Bybee is playing himself into keeper territory, even in a three keeper league when considering he's worth a 22nd round pick, but I'm, I'm worried about innings limits. I'm worried about just a rest or anything like that because I'm competing. So if I can get something substantial for a pitcher, I'm more likely to do it. But when it comes to a hitter, like the plate appearances are probably just going to be equal with whoever you'll get. So you have to be really confident that like whoever you get is going to outproduce that, that prospect. And I, I think that's a tough game to play with pitchers a little bit easier. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I can I can buy that. So with that, we've gone through our draft. Let's sort of recap here. Pete took Henry Davis as the ninth pick. That was his catcher. His corner infielder was Josh Young, who he took with the fifth pick. His middle infielder was Gunnar Henderson with the fourth pick. His two outfielders were Corbin Carroll, who he took first, and Colton Kowser, who he took last with the 12th pick. And his utility guy was Tristan Cassis, who he took eighth. My picks, my catcher, I took with my second pick, third overall, was Francisco Alvarez. My corner infielder is Spencer Steer, who I took 10th. My middle infielder, Ellie De La Cruz, who I took second. My two outfielders I took back-to-back at six and seven, Masataka Yoshida and Jordan Walker. And my utility guy is Matt McClain. I could I could argue that McClain is not a great use of a utility spot. That, but yeah, He's been awesome. Who cares? Yeah. For our context here. I'm still feeling good about it. He's obviously more valuable where you can use him in a middle infield spot, but yeah, we only had six spots, so whatever. I'll live with it. But with that, thank you for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this and we'll be back with you probably not with a draft next week. We'll see.